Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bona Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. All right, Wayne, you know who's on today? Mr. Howard Brickman. I tell everybody, all right, pull the car over, get a notepad, get a piece of paper, because we are going deep today. This is going to be a deep dive in, in sanding floors and, and, and actually cell structures that probably most of us in this industry, certainly myself, have never, never gone to this level of looking at, at, at flooring. But if you hang in there on this episode and listen to what Howard has to say, and there's some really, this is going to be an education, man. So uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to Howard today. Morning, Howard. Morning, morning Howard. Good morning, Wayne. This should be quite an honor for you, Howard. It is. <laughs> I'm excited to be with you guys, even though uh, I don't have my vaccination yet. So I'm actually getting ready to put my mask on. Okay. Yes. Well, you should. Good. Perfect. And and I know, yeah. Of course, you've you've done a lot of things in your career, and and highly regarded. And and um, I mean, it's not hard to see that all you've accomplished, but. You are the first person that we've, the first guest that we've ever had on twice. Ooh, that's yes. right. Never happened before I mean, in yeah, the history of On the Floor. And you're going to keep bringing me on until I get it right, okay? Is that what the deal is? <laughs> this is akin to Johnny Carson bringing the comedian over to the couch. He, you know? You're going to be our Don Rickles to Johnny yeah. Carson. You know what I mean? When we need a show, when we need numbers, we're bringing on the man. That's what we're going to do. Well, we've had so many people uh, comment on uh, all the information that you uh, gave us on your last podcast and everything. And uh, uh, so we're glad to have you back. And thanks for making the time. I know you're, you're busy. So it's, uh, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. How do you like doing it in the morning? Uh, morning is okay. Uh, uh, this, this works for me. This is like that. coffee with Howard. You are, you a Dunkin' guy or a Starbucks guy? Uh, I am a, I'm too cheap to buy coffee out, out of the house. I make a pot of coffee in the morning and I try to get it drunk before I have to go outside. So. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Rob. Well, we want to talk about sanding today. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, everything that encompasses and all the different multi-species that are out there. And, and we always hear guys talking about how do I sand this one? Now I'm going to sand Jara today, so I'm going to do something differently. And uh, what about this job? It's going to be a, a Paduk or Cypress or Bamboo or whatever. And how do I tackle those jobs? So uh, Rob and I thought, well, we'd bring on the man okay. and talk about what actually happens when you sand a floor. So the three things I'd like to talk about are density of the different species, cell structure, and chemistry of the materials within the wood substance that are not actual wood substance, which are generally referred to as extractives. Okay and how those things influence sanding and finishing. Wow. This is going to be cool. Okay. So density is really straightforward. Um, it's also referred to as, as specific gravity. 
Uh, density is talking about the weight of the material within a cubic volume. It's typically pounds per cubic foot since we're in America. If you were in uh, Europe or some other civilized place, uh, it would be some metric thing. And uh, it's grams per cubic centimeter or whatever, you know. Okay. So, but I'm an American. I don't do metric, okay? okay. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk pounds per cubic foot. Um, and specific gravity is a comparison of the density of the material to the density of water, okay? Mm -hmm. And water, weigh, a cubic foot of water weighs 62.4 pounds. So if, and, and the thing that's useful about understanding specific gravity is when you have something that has a specific gravity of greater than one, it doesn't float because it's heavier than water. Whereas when we have something that has a specific gravity of less than one, it will float. And so most wood substance that we work with, when it's dry, when it's kill dried, typically below somewhere between six and 10%, is going to have a specific gravity of less than one. Okay? And the species uh, densities vary considerably. For instance, we, and what we typically see in the, in, the, in the wood floor sanding business is everything from Eastern white pine, which is a softwood, mm. Uh, all the way up to and including uh, Brazilian walnut, which is Ipe, which is Tabuya, okay? And that has a density of, oh, like 58 pounds, 55 pounds, maybe a little more. And at a higher moisture content, it doesn't even float. I mean, it, it floats, but it's it's like an iceberg. There's just a little tippy mm -hmm. tip of it, you know, <laughs> right at the surface. Mm -hmm. All the rest of it is underneath the surface of the water. So um, uh, uh, you can get a pretty interesting sense of the density of a material if you just take a little scrap, you know, take take like say cut a cut a, a four inch piece of flooring, and take a pencil and draw lines every inch, okay? okay? And then draw lines every half an inch, and then take that piece and, and stick it on its end and put it in a cup of water, and you can see where it floats. And so if you're at the, at the two inch mark, you're halfway up, that's a specific gravity of 0.5. Okay. That would be a density of 31.2 pounds per cubic foot. So there's, there's really cool ways that you can approximate these things without having to get into the lab and use micrometers and whatever stuff. Okay. Okay. So uh, uh, another way we kind of sense density is when we pick up a bundle of flooring and you go, oh, good. <laughs> That's typically the high density yeah. stuff. Carrying in a bundle of maple versus a bundle of oak. Yeah, exactly. So, um, um, so density is just kind of nice to know. What density really describes, uh, to be a little bit more technical about it, is the density of wood substance is about 100 pounds per cubic foot. That's, that's just wood substance 
absolutely jammed, absolutely tight together with no air spaces in it, okay? Solid wood substance, not solid wood, okay. solid wood substance without all that cell structure, about 100 pounds per cubic foot. So that means it's got a specific gravity of like 1.6. And so we get a sense as to the amount of airspace within a piece of wood by thinking of that, that comparison of, of the actual specific gravity to 1.6 or density to 100 pounds per cubic foot. Okay. And so that kind of gives us some insight into what we're dealing with. The, the factors that affect density are the thickness of the cell walls and the, uh, um, and this is where we kind of transition into the structure thing. And the spaces, every cell has got a hollow center in it, and that's referred to as a lumen, L-U-M-E-N. Mm -hmm. And so um, the spaces inside the cells are the airspace, for the most part, within wood substance. Okay? And so um, um, what we're looking at is um, um, that's kind of the thing that makes wood as a building material to be finishing kind of funky to work with. Okay. With, as we're sanding the surface of a piece of wood, we're cutting right through different portions of cell substance. So when we're, when we're sanding absolutely parallel to grain, where the cells are all running in the same direction as a sanding machine on its, on its longitudinal axis, the length of the boards, as we're cutting through that, we're actually cutting through cell walls from the side, kind of like if you were cutting on straw and you would cut, you cut the surface of the straw. And as you look in from the top, you could see that that straw is hollow on the inside. Okay. Whereas as, as you transition all the way over to sanding on end grain, we're looking at the cell lumens from the top down. So we're looking at the straws from the, the circular part down into the cell lumen. Like, like sanding an end grain block floor, you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> most of us will probably never sand an end grain block floor. Okay? Uh, it's kind of specialty type mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. But when we're sanding a wood floor, um, um, we're going to be sanding most of the time close to that parallel axis. And so you can imagine as we're sanding the surface, we're cutting into those cells and we're cutting through cell walls and we're exposing uh, um, wood substance that isn't intact, okay? Okay. And so that's important to understand because that's kind of what makes the finish be absorbed and adhere to the product because it's that it's that freshly cut wood surface that gives us the best adhesion of, of, of adhesives and finishes. Okay. So um, we always want to, when we're applying anything onto a wood floor, we want that wood floor to be fresh. Okay. And so, uh, uh, for instance, the, the whistle blows at 4.30 on Friday afternoon. And, and what does every floor guy do? He looks at his watch, <laughs> says, 4.30, uh, time to quit. Yep. 
So he turns off the machine, maybe unplugs it, <laughs> maybe empties the dust bag, <laughs> maybe takes the pressure off the belt, <laughs> maybe cleans up a little bit, uh-huh. and then he goes home for the weekend, comes back Monday morning. Should he's, he's all done sanding, though. Should, should he be putting finish on that floor on Monday morning? No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't be waiting 48 to 72 hours to apply coating or finish to that floor because that surface is no longer fresh and that that those wood fibers that were exposed have started to oxidize and change. And that's going to inhibit adhesion. Okay. So, So whenever you leave a job overnight and you think you've got it all sanded and ready to go, you got to redo your fine sanding again. You got to go over that floor real quick just to freshen up that surface and remove that very light oxidation that occurs, even overnight, if you want. If you want to optimize coating, would your final like let's say I I finish with an eighty grit on the drum, yeah, and then I'm going to go to my fine screen, you know, or fine paper or whatever I'm going to do, multi disc one twenty. Yeah. Is that enough to reopen that, or do yeah, you it, need to 80? No, you don't need to 80. You just need to essentially abrade that surface and pull off that oxidation. Okay. Now, if you left it for weeks or months, you might want to consider, excuse me, going back to a, a little bit more uh, abrasive to to scratch through that oxidation because that oxidation starts at the surface and then progressively goes deeper and deeper. Let me, let me ask you this and I don't want to throw you off your point, but um, is it possible to sand species of wood too slick? For instance, uh, let's take a maple. We talked about maple, you know, and we know that maple can be uh, a difficult species to sand uh, for some guys and, and um, show sanding marks very easily and what have you. Uh, so some guys will go, go finer and finer and finer, you know, so it's almost, it's like a piece of glass. Okay. Is, is that an issue as far as how it relates to the, uh, the, the adhesion with the uh, finishes? That's funny because I sent, remember Howard, I sent you an email about that yeah. uh, probably a year ago. So we gonna, were getting into some serious discussions about where we should be stopping with our fine grit to, you know, to what point is it not safe to go too high a grit when you're getting down that first coat of sealer. So, so this leads take it in, away, Howard. This leads into the cell structure okay. portion. Okay. So we've got hardwoods and softwoods, and um, softwoods are referred to as conifers. Um, hardwoods are referred to as deciduous species, and they're they're just botanically different species. Okay, um, uh, and and essentially, when we look at conifers, the cell structure is very uniform from the ones with the smallest cells to the ones with the largest cells. The cell structure is relatively consistent from species to species. There's minor differences. When you're looking at a piece of wood under a microscope, uh, you can tell the difference, but in, in, in a real world, um, uh, probably color and grain pattern uh, and oftentimes uh, odor 
the, the aroma of the product is going to be a better tip off. A lot of floor guys can walk in, hit the thing with a with a saw or or a, a sanding machine. You can immediately tell what you're what you're working. Yep. Okay. So um, um, that all being said, when we get to the hardwoods, different matter altogether. They're anatomically much more varied. The cell structures uh, go from very small cells to extremely large cells. And the species with the largest cells are the ring porous species of which oak, red oak and white oak, <clears throat> ash, hickory, those are all ring porous species because during the first, the early part of the growing season, the cells, the, the vessels, a portion, a specifically adapted cell for conducting sap and other nutrients up and down the tree, those, those vessels are extremely large. <clears throat> As the growing season progresses, we get into what, you know, and so these are very sophisticated technical terms so you're going to have to learn some Latin. So in the wood technology business, we call the wood that grows in the first part of the growing season, we call it the early wood, okay? Yep. And the wood that grows in the latter part of the growing season, we call that late wood. <laughs> and that's what comprises each growing season. And that's Latin, right? Yeah, that's Latin. That's Latin. So, and then, early, early wood, late wood. Early wood, and late wood, and that's Latin. I, I'm going to talk Latin to my wife tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Going to impress the hell out of her. And and so each growth ring has got a portion of the growth ring that's early wood and late wood. This is in temperate areas. So in places in the tropics where they don't necessarily. This, the, the, the seasonality of the growth rings is really more related to wet and dry seasons. So uh, when we get into uh, ring porous species, you're gonna have this very distinctive structure in the wood. When we get into species where the, the, the pores are relatively small and uniformly distributed throughout the wood tissue, those species are referred to as diffuse porous, okay? And maple and birch and beech uh, are all diffuse porous species. <clears throat> and that wood substance, that wood is very uniform in texture. When you sand it, you get a very smooth, uniform structure surface on it. Unlike uh, uh, a red or white oak floor, where you've got these really wide open growth, you know, early wood portions of the growth ring that, you know, if you put a, uh, um, um, a soft, like a white pad under your screen, you will actually just sand away that early wood. And that's what gives you that kind of grainy look to a lot of floors that get sanded with a fine abrasive with a soft backing on it, okay? So, um, the problem with the diffuse porous species is, is that surface is so uniform and smooth that when you sand it, it's either going to show scratches <laughs> or it's going to shine up. Now, 
typically the mechanics of adhesion between uh, finishes and stain and wood are really not affected by the physical structure. In other words, the strength of the bond is really more on, an, on a molecular level. So the, the liquids of the finish and or stain are going to actually be absorbed into the, into the actual molecular structure of the surface that you're exposed to. And that's where the strongest bond occurs. Where you don't get that kind of intimate molecular bonding is where you tend to have finish failures. And so uh, that the forces of the, the strength of the bond is really driven by uh, a chemical molecular bonding. Okay? So it shouldn't affect the strength of the bond when you oversand a, a like diffuse porous species like maple. You should get a similar bond. The real killer with things like maple is when you sand it really smooth, it's so smooth that none of the stain color is going to be absorbed in the surface. Okay. And so, you, you know, you put the stain on, it looks really great, and then you wipe the stain off and it's like 98% gone. Okay. It doesn't look like, doesn't like, look like you put any stain in it. Yeah. And so, so then you need to put some physical structure. In the, in the good old days, we would finish sanding with like an 80 paper with the big machine with the grain and so we'd have a pretty good if we were and 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 people who were good with sanding would have a very uniform scratch which is lined up parallel to the grain and then we would take a piece of 60 paper off the edger and we would go and we would hand rub the edges to blend them in with the main part of the floor yep. and then you put your stain on and it's really a lot of the color is being held by the scratches in the surface and so you get a more uniform color so and yeah it's funny because when in the old days we all we hand sanded everything with 60 grit around the edge we didn't use the orbital we, we thought that was like the uh, a sin to use the orbital that's not that's that's taking a shortcut the right way to do it is the hand sand and and our, our hands at the end of the day would would prove that out because they'd be bleeding when you and you get in the shower and your hands would be on fire um but, but I wanted to ask you something, because one of the theories I had, you know, when I was a, a young contractor, uh, and when it came to a species like maple, I, I wanted to take no, I, I wanted to see no sanding marks from that, that machine at all. And I would do whatever it took to get there. Back there, we didn't have the planetary machines that we have today. So, but we would take it up to like 120 grit on the big machine, and I would screen it to 150 or, or, or 180. This is a certain point in my, in my career. And then being concerned that this is so slick now, I mean, the shine on that, it looks like it's got, you know, it's finished on it already. Uh, like on a maple, we would water pop it real quick. Yeah. And, and I think I did two things by doing that. One is, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's been my experience. The finer you sand the floor, the harder it is to finish it because your finish doesn't want to lay down as easily. And, and it just seems like it's, maybe it's a surface tension thing, I don't know. But, but it's harder to have a, a perfect uniform coat when the, when the surface that you sand it is just absolutely slick as can be. Am I right about that? Uh, yes and no. 
Um, okay, I think I'll take that. I'll take that as a win. <laughs> no, no, I put that in the. That's in the loss column. He said no. <laughs> so, um, with a really smooth surface, it's like finishing a metal plate. If you to to do a kind of a bad analogy, so essentially the coating has to be so uniformly placed on the surface because any, any variances in coating thickness on a really smooth surface are gonna show. And the smoother that surface is, the, the thing we don't really, and, and I think one of the real innovations that you all have done is that, uh, 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 that buffing the floor with the fiber brush with the dust collection on it. And Pico, yep. I mean, Pico brush. I mean that, that gets all that. And so I think a lot of times when you find sand a floor with a real fine paper, you're driving real fine wood flour into the openings of the floor. Okay. And even a regular vacuuming is not going to extract all that out of those little micro spaces in the surface, which is where you've cut through all the cells. In other words, you've basically packed that surface with dust, with real okay. fine dust. And so when you go to coat over it, there's no place for that finish to flow into because that's, that's essentially what's happening. When you look at that surface under, under, uh, 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 with a microscope, you know, with a higher magnification, that surface isn't smooth. I mean, even when you sand it with a 180 paper, it's got scratches in it and it's got places where you cut through the cell walls and there's cell lumens exposed. When you pack those cell lumens, with that super, super fine dust and pack them in there, that's going to prevent the, 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 the finish and stain from flowing into those opening spaces. So, guys, if, if, can I interrupt you again? Because this is super interesting to me. Um, because y you're right. I mean, so then we would even vacuum it. Okay, so then the rule was we'd always have to have a brand new bag in the vacuum, the new filters and everything in the, in the vacuum cleaner. And then we would vacuum it. And we would use even the head, I'd use the, uh, not the uh, bristle one, but the felt one, because I felt like it, it got grabbed the floor better. But, and even then, when you microfiber it, you look at the microfiber mop, there's a fair amount of dust on that. You're, you're right about the Tampico brush, man, because when we went on to put on a Tampico brush, oh. it, it, it's night and day. Even on a floor that fine, it, it's, it's a dramatic difference. Uh, it's one of the things we uh, we show in the training at the schools. When you hit just a section, we'll just do a very small section of the floor with a Tampico brush and leave the other section next to it undone, you know, just vacuumed intact. The Tampico brush looks like you've coated it with finish. There's a sheen there that oh, yeah. you just, you can't get that sheen with, with vacuum and tacking. And, Ask, let me ask you another question, Howard. Does sometimes when people are, you know, when we're water popping, everybody's talking about grain rays. I've been telling people for years that part of that grain rays is just the dust expanding yeah. that's down in those vessels and you didn't get it out because I know we see a lot less so-called grain rays when we do use the Tampico brush. I would agree. And um, uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> and, 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 and essentially part of the water popping process is you're basically 
cleaning the floor even more thoroughly. So, so essentially any of that residual dust that doesn't even come up with the Tampico brush is gonna, when you water pop it, uh, if you were to say run over with a, with a wet towel to do some of your water popping, or when you've, you've got like a padco and you're smoothing out your, you hit it with a, a sprayer and you run your padco on it, you'll see that, you'll see that dust accumulating on the surface yeah a lot of times if you're putting it on with a t-bar or or however you're if you're applying it with some kind of applicator you'll see where you stop and get a heavy wet spot you'll see you'll see a puddle with dust in it mm -hmm. yeah and uh especially with the white oak uh you know you get these little kind of amber color kind of puddles all over the floor and you can you can wipe those up with, with a rag while it's still wet so uh, um, there again, I, I don't, that grain raise is, is, is physically so small that uh, I, I, I mean, I, I know guys who obsess over it and they sand there's, when we started using water-based finish, of course, the first coat with the water-based sealers, we're getting this incredible grain raise, right? We've never seen it before. <laughs> and so what's the first thing you do? I mean, this was like 40 years ago. The first thing we would do would be to, we got to, sand it out and when you sand it out all of a sudden you cut through your sealer or now you've got it you got a splotchy looking finish and blah 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 so um uh so that grain raise i would never be concerned about it until i'm putting my final coat on oh that is i love i love hearing that because that's one of the things that especially now with natural seal and nordic seal the the last thing i want guys to do is abrade that no don't touch that stuff. don't touch it and I tell everybody, look, if you worry about the floor being, you know, as smooth as glass, we can take care of that with, you know, second or third final coat, not to, not to try and smooth out that sealer. Okay. So I've been right there, too. Yep. Okay. No, so I got, That's two bells for me, none for Wayne. I got to say this. And this will this Here will we go. Me, this, this is where Wayne me. and I, Howard, this is where this, it gets ugly with Wayne and I. This is this, like a this, hockey fight now. Who's going to get the jersey over the head? And gonna, uh, right now I'm up two to one, I think. This two is going to eliminate. This is going to eliminate your last bell. So hold, hold on a second. But before I get into that, I'll shoot you down. Um, so this is this is interesting, uh, Howard. What you say about uh, about how fine when you really fine sand that floor, and is, if you look at it, like the dust is packed onto the onto the surface of that. So guys that are taking the time and and charging the money and and using the, the uh, these um, uh, like a power drive, the, these uh, you know uh, multi-unit sanders. If you're going to take the effort to do that and, and put a nice floor, this you know you set the surface of that floor to be a beautiful floor. The next step with the Tampico brush to me has got to be automatic. I mean, it's the next step in you wanting that perfect finish. That 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 to me should be the next step. And that that changed the game. Uh, when I first saw that, and I know when we sell, we go, we have the schools. That's like the number one tool we sell because of that. Yeah. So I, I think that's interesting. But now on grain raise, I'm gonna. I've said this early on, but it was so genius. I think most people missed it. Um, when I when we we sanded the floor and we water popped the floor, uh, we water say we water, water popped the floor, and then we're gonna go dark. Okay. So the way that we stain the floor, and I say this, and probably most people will never do it, but I guarantee you there's not a better way to do it if you want to eliminate grain raise. 
is that we would we would wipe the stain on like you normally do, but then we would take a maroon pad and we buff in buff in that stain with a maroon pad, and then now it doesn't take the stain off the floor. Uh, you still have to wipe off, so it does introduce another step into the process. But I am telling you, you could take it is it's it's amazing how much grain raise you get rid of. Now you've got all the benefits of water popping, but it's like you sanded that floor with a 150 grit screen. Um, and when you put that first coat of finish on, it almost looks like your second coat of finish. So, yes, it takes longer to do, uh, but I do think you get that step back at the end because, I mean, when I put that first coat on, there's no reason to braid that, 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 that first coat on. I mean, there's zero grain raise. So you're applying stain with a maroon pad. We, we have, say a guy wipes on the stain or you, however you put the stain on. Before you wipe it off like you normally do, take a buffer with a maroon pad and we double stack the maroon pads to take some of the aggressiveness off of it. And we buff that entire section. And then when you wipe that floor off and you put your hand on it, it, it is night and day. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like it's, you, you didn't want to pop at all. All right. All right, Howard. What do you think? I think it's pretty clever. Well, let, let me say this about it. I was with a contractor in California. We all, all know, uh, but I won't mention his name. We're upstairs, and we. Uh, I said, "Look, I got to show you this technique. I usually this is a um, this is our family thing. We don't tell anybody this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this." And so we were doing it upstairs, and he goes, "Yeah, I get it, man. But it's just, I don't know, man. It's just you know, it's getting close to the end of the day. I just let's just go ahead and do our." So we did the master bedroom my way. The rest of the house we did his way. When we came back and looked at it next day, he called me. He goes, dude, night and day. He goes, this looks phenomenal. I mean, compared to, I mean, as far as how, how, how less grain raisy and how nice and smooth that floor was compared to the rest of the, of the uh, house. And I get it. It's, it, it, I understand your point completely, Howard. It, it takes more time. But there may be a segment of guys that go, you know what? You know, if I'm, I'm you know, at least maybe on one or, you know, some jobs, it might, might uh, be the, the way to go. Well, Howard liked it, Wayne. So that's uh that's definitely a win for you. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty cool. The only thing I would be concerned around would be the edges. So playing devil's advocate, Howard and I are both concerned about the edges. Okay, not my my concern too, and it's it's not, and I'll tell you why. Uh, one, unless it's like um, unless it's a kitchen or or a bathroom, you're not going to see that inch to the wall that I'm not able to get with that uh and it doesn't affect the color um so that uh, we never seen that be a concern if you're in a kitchen area around door jams or whatever you can take a maroon pad and just hit it real quick while it's wet do the same type of thing but we've never found it to be an issue um there was something else i was going to say oh most people when i tell them this they're afraid that okay well if the buffer wheels get out onto the area that i water popped is it going to be an an issue and it never has been for us. Now, I, I we use the, the our buffer has the big oversized wheels on it, right? So, but if I were using really small steel wheels and I was putting that buffer on the floor, I might be concerned that I'm crushing that fibers or what have you. But I did a video one time of where I took our buffer and I intentionally would stain on the wheels. I would bring it out into the other areas of the floor, and by the time we stain it, it all goes away. You don't see even your footprints; it, it all goes away. So, just throw that out there. I feel like I completely stopped the show now. <laughs> yeah, you dropped the anchor there. Way to drop the plow, buddy. Yeah, the hazard to water popping has always been uh, the guy who's got hard, hard-toed shoes on. And he's 
down, yeah. down on his hands and knees, and he's leaving those little scuff marks. He's leaving those little toe swipes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, oh, I wonder why the thing didn't take there. I mean, uh, and it could be any number of things. But, uh, um, um, you know, once the stain goes on, it wouldn't matter whether you crush the, stain, the, the, the grain back down or not, I wouldn't think. Once the stain's on. Yeah, once the stain's yeah. on. Once the stain's on, it's not an issue. Here's how good this, this actually works. When oh, I boy. First, he's, yeah, he's full of himself now. Here he goes. He's like Howard. a dog with a bone, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get one win. He's going to soak this for – we're going to have to bring you back, you know, three or four times. When I first started telling people about this – One brother, win. He gets one win. My brother wouldn't talk to me for like a month because he, he, he will tell you that it was his idea that we do this. In my recollection, it was my idea that we do this. And so I now I'm so confused. I don't know which one of us came up with it. So you're the one with a podcast. Yeah. So it was definitely your idea. Yeah. So you brought up something uh, interesting too, Howard, uh, when you talked about um, um, when you go, a T bar goes across the floor and you leave a spot there, and there could be uh, there could you can see like uh, that is that there's brown on the on the T bar on what have you from the from the wood, which goes into tannin pool. Uh, another reason for the fine vacuuming and stuff when you when you're doing water based finish uh, with with tannin pull that if you're not tacking the floors real well in in that snow plow of uh, uh, with a T bar you're picking up tannin from the from the oak flooring and now it's vulnerable for wherever you put that T bar down. Yeah, Howard, let's get into the to the tannin pull and you being from Massachusetts, I mean white oak is your life, so you must have seen it, you know, tons of different ways. I have, but I, I think a lot of it is uh, once you get the first coat of sealer on, uh, if you've got a sealer that doesn't pull tannins, that's, that's a big deal. Okay. Um, I know the early days of water base, the tannin pull was, oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> right. And, uh, um, uh, and it seemed to be even worse when we were doing white floors with bleach. Yeah, uh, it was especially bad um, uh, that even with sealer and stain on it, you sometimes you put that first coat of finish on and it would pop that those it would just extract those tannins right up through everything. Uh, the new finishes, of course, I, you know, I'm not sanding and finishing every day like like all these other guys who, who I'm, and I'm assuming most of the guys have got enough time to watch something like this. Probably not sanding every day. <laughs> so the, the guy they listen to it while they're running the drums. So okay, all yeah. right. So so it could be that um, um, I I think the uniformity of the application of the first coat of finish is critical to eliminating tannin. Oh, I'm so happy you said that because uh, once again I go back to training and every one of our um, training centers has a white oak floor. And I can't stress enough that the first coat is the money coat. We got to get the first coat right. And any puddling or streaks left behind or lines of finish seems to pull tannin worse than just in an area that was pulled really good. Well, let me, let me talk about that for a second. Okay. And this is where the extractive things comes in. Okay. So when we're talking about wood substance, um, the wood cells are comprised primarily of cellulose, hemicellulose, 
there some other organic compounds. There's um, um, there's something that holds the cells together called lignin. And then with some species, we get these alternate chemical substance that get deposited in the hardwood as the cells transition from being hardwood and soft from sapwood to hardwood, the center part of the tree. Okay. And those extractives, and the reason they call them extractives is because those chemicals can be extracted from the wood substance with solvents. Okay. okay. So for instance, and, and different solvents will react differently, will 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 resolve or or extract some of these chemicals differently. Turns out what what is one of the big universal solvents? Water, right? Right. And so, um, um, uh, and what do we know about the way solvents work? They work better, first of all, if they're warm. The hotter a solvent is, the better it works. The second is, the longer something stays wet, the, the, the more it's going to affect the extractives. In other words, okay. the length of okay. time that something stays really wet, it's going to really get those extractives pulled out of the of the hardwood, and it's going to mobilize them. And so when you have a heavy spot on the floor, it's going to stay wet longer. And so that's why you're getting that tannin pull, which is essentially extractives. And so, so that wood is wood that's closer to the center of the tree? Is that yeah, what that's, that's the center of the tree. In other words, when we look at a we look at a log that's freshly cut. Yeah. The outer part is the bark. Right. Matter of fact, they got an outer bark and inner bark. And then they have something called the cambium, which is the place uh, a line of uh, around the outside between the bark and the wood which is where the cells are differentiated. On the outside of the cambium, it makes bark cells. On the inside, it makes wood cells. And those, and those wood cells, as they are initially formed, are called sapwood. And in almost every species, they're a, a white or a light cream color. Yeah. And in and, and, and a lot of species, as that sapwood transitions into being heart, H-E-A-R-T, heartwood, it... It, it changes color and becomes darker. So for instance, white oak, it becomes darker. Red oak, it becomes darker. Walnut, it becomes darker. Uh, even the tropical species, uh, Brazilian cherry, Brazilian walnut, their sapwood is all light colored, transitions into becoming darker. And part of that darkening is about the cells developing extractives, chemical compounds. Okay. And, uh, and there are theories that those extractives develop for the purpose of defending the tree from biodegradation, the live tree, okay? Because the thing that supports that tree, that makes it such a big monster uh, uh, plant, is that it's got a support structure that'll hold the weight of all those branches and leaves and uh, so forth. So. If it's going to support all that structure, it's got to be pretty much not be able to be degraded by insects and mold and all these other things. Some specific trees are really well adapted to that, especially in the tropical climates 
where the the mechanisms of biodegradation, the amount of insects, right, right. mold, and all these other things, and they're just it's phenomenal the amount of degradation that can occur. So um, I remember back before I got in the wood floor business, I was I was in Georgia, and uh, I was building a little cabin for myself, and I put stakes in for the foundation, uh-huh. and uh, I came back two weeks later. And three of them had fallen over. There's termites in <laughs> <laughs> It's an indication you know, that we're going to I mean, they made it right up to the ground, <laughs> right to the surface of the ground. Let's go with so, concrete instead. Um, yeah. So uh, I ended up putting a concrete slab down, which explains why people put concrete slabs down in that part of the country. Yeah. But uh, uh, so uh, uh, essentially, this mechanism of being able to defend itself or poison things, in, you know, poison insects, which is, makes it resistance to decay. And so this resistance to decay is part of the extractives. And so these tannins uh, are part of that mechanism. And so when we, when we get a piece of white oak wet and we start to pull those tannins out, we've got to feed a way to prevent that from happening. You know, uh, when I hear you talk about this, Howard, and what a gift from nature we have in trees. Uh, and when I hear people complain about, well, there's a pin knot here, or there's a, what is this little dark color here? I mean, for goodness sakes, it's a gift that we've, you know, that, that look what we've, the, the, our romance with wood floors in this country goes way back and will never end. I mean, they're timeless and what have you. And when I hear you talk about all this, what, what Mother Nature gives us in these trees, that we so silly say, you know, willy-nilly, like, who the hell are we? You know what I mean? To say, ah, oh, this, this, there's a little knot here, there's a little sapwood here, whatever, or give me a tree, give me a floor with no sapwood and all these things that we, all the demands are silly demands that we put on these, these beautiful creatures uh, in, uh, from Earth, you know. Well, it's 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 fascinating. Um, I my my personal craft in the business has transitioned from sanding floors the regular way. I do I still can do it. I got to hire somebody to carry the machines in for me. But but uh, <laughs> once they're in the house, I'm okay. You know. <laughs> uh, and then they come and carry them out when I'm done. So uh, but and one of the and I live in Plymouth County, Massachusetts. The founding was 1620. The first uh, 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 colonists came in 1620, 401 years ago, okay? And so, because last year was a 400th anniversary, which kind of got ruined for the obvious reason. But I I worked in houses with 300-year-old floors. In fact, I'm working in, uh, I'm working in, two houses now where the floors are over 300 years old. They're Eastern white pine. I use a stripping process and I strip the coating off. Now I do have to do a fine abrading just to, you know, eliminate the grain rays and get them smooth. You gotta have some fun. Yeah, I gotta have some fun, but I mean- mean, We have all these great tools. You get get the, the look you get by not sanding an antique floor. It's just totally different. And I personally think it's criminal to go into an antique building and take a big machine and sand all of the character off of that floor. I mean, that just, 
that makes me crazy. And I've been up here working since I moved from Memphis 40 years ago. And I walk in these old houses and they say, we want our floor sanded. Even when I didn't know any better, I had enough sense to know I'm not sanding this floor. It's too beautiful as it is. Yeah. So I, yeah. I agree with you. The, the, the trick is to get the coating off in a way so that we can then use our standard finishes. Yeah. That's, it. That's very interesting. Wayne, have you ever seen Plymouth Rock? No, I have not. Uh, next time you come, um, and we'll mask up and go down there. Believe me. That sounds good. You're going to be pretty depressed when you see it. <laughs> is that right? Oh, my God. I, I remember, like, the very first time, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts, so a field trip was to go out, see the Mayflower and Plymouth Rock. So I just, for weeks, weeks, I was like, oh, my God. I cannot wait to see Plymouth Rock. First, I thought it was going to be the size of the Grand Canyon, Plymouth Rock. That's what I pictured it. Yeah, right? Yeah. And then you see this huge pavilion, and you're getting closer and closer, and down inside of this pavilion is Plymouth Rock. And, I mean, we're just screaming, you know, seventh graders sprinting. My God, we're about to see Plymouth Rock. I can't wait to stand on it, and, you know? And you look down in this hole and there's a rock. And at the time it was in the seventies. So it had like graffiti on oh, it. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> and, it, and it was a rock that was like, I don't know, the size of a, of a, of a chair. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we're and the town is awesome. Don't get me wrong. The town, it's just one of the most beautiful waterfront towns you've ever seen with, you know, boats in the bay. And I mean, it's just, a fantastic place to go but I, I remember when i brought my kids in, i'm like listen this is an awesome place but uh don't get too jazzed up about the rock and when you're walking around on the mayflower uh, it was like they took the shortest people in england and sent them over here because i'm well, a giant walking around yeah. on that uh, on the mayflower you, you remind me of, a, of a, i was in arizona and i saw a sign that said like Indian burial ground, Indian ceremonial ground over like this, this place over here, like you, you got to see this. So we, we, we went back, we parked the car, and you go down a trail, you get down the end of the trail, and the sign says this, this may or may not have been the sign of a, an Indian ceremonial ground. I'm thinking, well, what the hell? <laughs> you know what I mean? It may or may not have been the site of such and such. I'm going to put a historical <laughs> sign outside of my house. Washington yeah. might have slept there. Yeah. He might have slept there. It's like Daniel Boone. Um, I don't, I, if you go through Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, Arkansas, anywhere in there, there's somewhere there was – Daniel Boone was here. Daniel Boone did this here. Daniel Boone stand right here. They do once I had a Prius because one dude back then could not have traveled that many states in that many areas. Like every county – Daniel Boone was there. So uh, I, I, started, I started to question it. I grew up in Illinois, and, and I remember there was a little... <laughs> yeah. There was, there, was a, there was a place in town, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was, it was a tavern um, that Lincoln had visited. Okay. So every... every I mean, he'd gone there and <laughs> ate lunch or something. I have no idea. But <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, yeah, so around here, it's uh, I'm I'm actually working in a, 
the house right now that was owned by John Hancock's wife. Wow. Wow. In, wow. In Quincy, in Quincy. It's called the Quincy Homestead. The house was built in 1687 and with additions done in 1708. Gosh. And so Jeez. I'm working on floors that were put in in 1708. Only in Massachusetts. You, you can almost close your eyes and picture, you know what I mean, the, the people back then that were in that house. And it really makes you, I love that kind of history, you know, it's very cool. Uh, my brothers and I, when we did, did floors together, and I, they probably still do, oftentimes we would put newspapers underneath the floor, uh, yeah. you know, from the days that we were, or I would, we would sign our names to John Highlander, Doug Highlander, Wayne Highlander, and the date. Um, and uh, just for, you know, one guy, hundred years from now, uh, pulls it up and maybe it's a little bit of history there. So every bowling alley we sanded, we had our family stamp. Chatter marks. Yeah. We, we stamped the, the, yeah, chatter marks. Oh, let's not go there. Yeah. We had chatter marks. All right. You could hear it. We, we did a family stamp, stamp date and everybody who worked on the job on every, every bowling alley. I couldn't help myself. Right. Sorry. <laughs> that Wayne's got a mean streak, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, I guess he saw some of our, our lanes then. <laughs> Howard, it, it is a, really, it's a pleasure having you on. I mean, you know, uh, you elevate the show. Uh, you do. I mean, your knowledge is in, incredible, and we're, we're very grateful that you take the time. And uh, as uh, Rob said, we'd love to – find another topic. That's Howard, a once again, uh, we had about 50 things I wanted to talk to you about and we, you just knocked it out of the park. So we're definitely going to have you back probably a couple more times just to keep this series going, the Brickman series, I guess. <laughs> okay. So you've also made Rob's life easier. So for now, for the first hour of the class, he's going to, he's going to get the podcast out. He's going to light a cigarette and and then punch play and get out the comic book for the, for, for the first hour of the class. Because, and I'm going to listen to this back. I know I'll listen to this back several times because I will, you said a lot of stuff there, man, that I'm going to have to digest, but I think it was really, really super interesting. Talk about a deep dive on, on flooring, man. It's, it's, it's going it's to be cool. Thank you. Well, it seems, to me, it seems to me that the industry owes the people who craft the job, the floors, the 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 basic information so that they can they can understand and function better and it's always been a mystery to me why the wood flooring industry has done such a shabby job of explaining how their material even the even the scumbags in the carpet industry explains <laughs> to their people okay yeah <laughs> i'm telling you even even those people understand their product yeah my carpet cleaners, the, 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 I mean, literally, the, the, the you know. Don't pull any punches, Howard. Yeah, I'm just saying that it's, it's fascinating to me that we have done such a bad job of elevating the background knowledge of our people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that's one of the things that I find so impressive about Bona. Bona has done the best training that that in the business and and i have to i have to say i've been doing training in the wood flooring industry since 1979 okay and um uh, uh it's just fascinating to me that that there's really 
and you've elevated the whole industry. In other words, a lot of these guys could barely find a wood floor if it was in front of them. And now they're all doing training and being more technical. And, yep. uh, and I think that's great. Yep. Um, it, it, it's good for the whole industry. The, the more we know, the more educated we all are. I think it helps everybody. Yeah. So Howard came to one of my two day classes a few years ago. And I got to tell you, when I saw Howard walk in and I saw his name on the list, I was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm a little league coach and Roger Clemens is now, you know, watching me coach. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. That was uh, probably one of the most intimidating classes of my life, Howard. But uh, you, were just, you were fantastic, man. I thought you did a wonderful job on that class, Rob. I mean, it was a great class. I, I can't imagine spending a better two days in the last 10 years than I spent at your class. You did a great job with it. A lot of great information. It's always fun to hang around with wood floor guys. That's it. Yeah, it is. It really is. It really is. It's a good time. And uh, it'll be nice when we can get back to doing it again. Yes, sir. Those training centers you have, they're fantastic. Guys should be taking advantage of all that opportunity. I mean, it's just, uh, there's just so much uh, that you all are doing that nobody in the industry is really doing. Well, appreciate it. We appreciate that, Howard, very much. Howard, uh, this has just been great. How would somebody get a hold of you? I mean, uh, you know, I'm so lucky that I can just kind of shoot you an email, a text, and you can tell me how wrong I am. I, I love that. I appreciate it. But how would somebody get a hold of you uh, with your business? And, and- and what services that, that you offer? Okay. Um, well, it, it's my name is Howard Brickman. My company is Brickman Consulting. Um, you can Google it. Um, just Google Brickman Consulting, Massachusetts. It'll have all my contact information. For those of you that want to write it down, uh, my email is howard at brickmanconsulting.com. And uh, um, uh, all, I've, I've got a website at Brickman Consulting, and uh, and I do basic consulting services uh, uh, regarding uh, up until uh, you know the the limitations on travel started last spring. Uh, most of my business was in New York City. I was working for developers. I would work in large projects and uh, do uh, specifications, assist with bidding, and then run the project right through the punch list at the end of the job. And so, but that business uh, doesn't exist anymore because I can't travel because I have to quarantine for 14 days if I leave the state now. So, uh, so, but locally, I still do a little bit of it and uh, I consult with anybody who's interested in you know, having a, what I like to call an unbiased, um, um, uh, informed opinion about what's going on. And so uh, I try to be very objective and non-judgmental uh, about the way I do things. I particularly enjoy helping contractors because a lot of times um, they tend to be the lowest Um, uh, we I will say we are the lowest people on the food chain 
And so a lot of times they find themselves in a, in a tough spot and don't know, you know what their options are. Mm -hmm. so. Good deal. Appreciate that, Howard, very much. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. Today. Yeah. All right. Good, good. Stay safe out there. And we'll hopefully we can travel uh, shortly and get a chance to uh, maybe have a, have a meal together or something. That'd be great. All right. We'll leave it at that. That's a good place to leave it. And so this has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode.